Welcome to the Days of Dev podcast. I am your host, Kevin Lesh, and my guest on this episode is Cassandra Goodby. Cassandra is a designer and developer focused on everything from user experience design through front-end development. She's the organizer of T9 Hacks, a hackathon focused on the inclusion of women and non-binary individuals. This is an event I've mentored for a few years now, and Cassandra recently took over as organizer. After a few conversations, I knew we had to get her on the show, and did we record a good one? This episode covers all sorts of exciting topics. From organizing and facilitating a hackathon through resume and portfolio building, to how you can leverage all of these things to land a job. In between, it's omelet blogs and custom Snapchat filters. Now, my conversation with Cassandra Goodby. Eighty-six degrees on this summer day in Boulder, Colorado. We're on Pearl Street. Flat irons in the backdrop, and Cassandra Goodby is my guest. Cassandra, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, so excited uh, that you were able to join and that we caught you before you head camping this weekend. Uh, where where are you headed? I'm headed up to Netherland. It's right outside of Boulder. Really lovely. Last weekend we actually went and there was torrential downpours the really? entire weekend. So hoping it's a little better than last weekend. <laughs> yeah, I love the drive up Canyon. If you're ever coming out to visit Boulder, Colorado, the drive up Canyon to Netherland, I think one of the best like that is worth just doing as a day trip just for, you know, the gorges, the scenery that that you see on the way out there. Uh, such an awesome such an awesome just place to be, Colorado in general. You know, so many like outdoor activities going on. Um, and yeah, I mean, outside of all the outdoor activities going on, also plenty going on inside too. How about how about that segue, by the way? Because like I think what <laughs> we're gonna yes, what we're gonna roll into first is um, Brittany Ancos founded. Um, T9 Hacks, along with Eileen Pierce and a bunch of other helpful staff. And you have more recently taken over the reins and you are running T9 Hacks these days. Um, Such a fantastic and I think a hackathon with a really unique focus. And I, I was hoping you could maybe just kick things off by, you know, giving our listeners an overview of just what, what the event is. Yeah, of course. Um, so a hackathon is typically 24 to 48 hours that people get together and code. (laughs) Basically the general scheme of it. Um, One of the problems our founder had, Brittany, was a lot of these hackathons are very male dominated. Most typical is about 26% women for hackathons. Um, And so she created a hackathon called T9 Hacks that's focused for women and non-binary individuals to and newcomers to technology. So people who have never really experienced what it means to code or what it means to build apps or web development and giving them an opportunity to spend 24 hours just to explore their curiosity. It's an amazing event that I've seen many people come out of it with portfolio builders, with a project or with a newfound passion. Um, Three years ago, I guess four years ago now that I just ran my last one, um, at the first T9 Hackathon, it was my first semester at CU Boulder, and I decided to go because I didn't know anyone and I was new here. And 
I never had built a web site before. And I got together with three people, never had met them. And we created Mentor Me, a website that you could connect with mentors in the local area of finding your passions and being able to just communicate with them. And we built it on React and um, I believe Ruby on Rails a uh, long time ago <laughs> that I built it. But it was my first taste of it. And I knew in that moment that is exactly where I was meant to be. I was meant to be at CU Boulder. I was meant to be in the Atlas Institute and I was meant to be just using my curiosity of technology. And so I'm really thankful for T9 Hacks. And thankfully I was able to be the lead organizer this last year. I mean, I am too. The uh, So we'll talk about it in a little bit, but just I have so learned so much uh, functioning as a, as a mentor for these events. And yeah, granted that T9 Hacks is, is my only exposure to hackathons in general too, but I think you hit on it. What like I love about the event itself is it's just such a fun atmosphere to drop into, you know, um, whether you're coming in with a project idea or joining up with a team, um, it is just everyone's like available and you know helpful and working to just drive people towards the passion that that is web development like just such a such an awesome atmosphere going on to put that atmosphere together certainly a lot a lot of planning i would have to imagine you know what is also interesting about t9 hacks is it always seems so many tracks going on so many you know workshops i think you know one year uh, or across all the years, I've re I remember we've had, you know, GitHub workshops, we've had, you know, React, Vue.js, you know, other technical sessions. There's even been, I think, portfolio or resume building. And even like there was a LinkedIn headshot um, session one, one year. So wondering, you know, you as the organizer now, uh, maybe you could take us through just what goes into like kicking off a successful hackathon. If I'm someone at another university, I don't have hackathons uh, on my campus. I want to, you know, produce one. Maybe what does what does even the, the first meeting of the year look like when you're getting the ball rolling to kick off one of these events? Yeah, of course. Um, I think T9 Hacks is lucky because we have such a specific goal. We're not just doing a hackathon. We're doing it for women and non-binary, the underrepresented groups in technology, and also for a lot of newcomers. So all of what we do is focused on that. We're trying to make it the best possible weekend for them. Um, one of the first things you have to figure out is when to have it, mm -hmm. which is honestly one of the hardest questions, especially for a college, because everyone has midterms. Every different department has midterms on different weeks. So thankfully, we were able to do it kind of early in the semester, um, the spring semester typically, and you're never going to feel like you have enough time, but you kind of just got to choose a date and go with it. And yeah. thankfully, we're doing it in Boulder, which Boulder, I, like I said, feels so spoiled um, for the outdoors, for the technology around us, for the people. Everyone is super willing to help the sponsors for T9 Hacks are super willing to put their boots on the ground and be at the event and give us the help that we need to put on the best event. And everyone, I think, can agree that helping women and non-binary individuals find out what technology is is a really important goal. And nobody can figure out one solution to it, but I think T9 Hacks really hits the mark of just allowing a place for curiosity to explore. So another thing is just figuring out mentors, figuring out the workshops, finding people is really difficult. So thankfully I was able to have a really good team to help me out. And I think that's one of the main things you need to 
have as lead organizer is just people surrounding you who are going to, A, push you to put on the best event ever, that you can and to able be able to help you. You shouldn't be just doing everything. It doesn't need to be a one-person team. You should rely on the community around you. Um, any Anybody is going to help if they can. So just relying on the team and the people surrounding you. Yeah, so many threads to unpack there. The two things that really jumped out uh, that maybe we could hit on more for a second were, I think a really cool thing about T9 Hacks too is um, you mentioned curiosity, really allowing students to like follow what whatever project that they want to pursue. You know, it doesn't have to be um, a, a website or a piece of software, you know, remembering back, we've had, uh, I remember groups that have done hardware projects, um, have done, there was a VR project that was super interesting, you know, just all sorts of, of different disciplines coming together. And then as far as leveraging a team too, I think what's really cool about that is it, it just parallels what's actually going on, um, at the event itself. You know, you've got, um, I, I think even, even last year, there were teams just coming together to help each other that, you know, were working on their own independent projects, but maybe they overheard some conversation. I remember a Python, a two groups working on Python, and they were sort of bouncing ideas back and forth off each other um, just to try to, to forward each other's projects. So, yeah, it's such a collaborative atmosphere. Um, and I think that plays into as well. Um, just what makes for a successful participant coming in with that, um, you know, open attitude, that willingness to help and to forward just not only your own team, but like everyone at the event. And so with you as the organizer, uh, sort of a twofold question would be curious. Yeah. What, what your day when the hackathon begins, like if, if maybe we play into humor me here, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the namesake of the show day as a dev, what does a, a day as a hackathon organizer look like? Maybe you could take us through yeah. the, just the event. What's your role focusing on as the event is playing out? So first off, I spent the entire night before working on things, making sure, triple checking, printing off badges, grabbing food from Costco, doing everything. And hopefully I'll get to bed at an early time, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. No. And even if I do, I'm running through checklists in my head, making sure did I talk to this person? Did I make sure this person's coming? So even though I'm going to be staying up for 24 hours the next day, still not getting any sleep the night before, um, I started my day at about 6 a.m. Wow. Getting to Atlas, getting my team there, and just running through what does everyone need to be working on? What do we need to set up? We couldn't set up the day before because it is a college. Things are happening. Class Things are shaking and moving. Yeah. So we wake up early. We just got it commit to doing everything that morning before the participants get there at 9 a.m. So getting last minute ice, printing off signs, putting tampons in the bathroom. Like there's such small specific details that you just kind of have to be very detail oriented to be a lead organizer and making sure your team is excited. And at 9 a.m. people start showing up. The um, sponsors are showing up. You got to help them figure out where to place their table and uh, mentors come in. They're not really sure what to do. You got to get them on Slack, help them figure out what's the best approach. Participants start showing up, checking them in. And then we always have an opening ceremony that we have that gets everyone excited, tells them how to get on the Slack, where's food going to be, the number one thing that everyone's always asking. Absolutely. How yeah. much energy drinks are there going to be? <laughs> 
and figuring out where everyone's going to go and then helping especially people who are coming in very new who have never used technology before get on a team figure out who's going to be there who's going to help them um, so just doing all of that and then as soon as the kickoff happens with the hackers going into their rooms and just starting to go honestly I <laughs> didn't have much to do after that I was kind of stir crazy um, my team kind of just ran everything we had a checkout table for um, hardware that they could check out. There was Roombas, Arduinos, just a ton of different things. So we had somebody running that, making sure that the food showed up on time. And I actually surprisingly got sleep that night. I was able to <laughs> go home after who knows how many hours and get a little bit of a cat nap. And the next morning I showed up and got to see what all the progress was overnight, found people sleeping in the weirdest places and on oh, yeah. <laughs> campus. <laughs> I wanted to ask too, if that's, so one thing you mentioned earlier too, was just like, yeah, adding those comfort products or like just to make people's, you know, they are, they do have the option of staying there all the way through overnight. And yeah, I honestly would not, I, I was very impressed too, you know, going into uh, like the men's room, there's like deodorant, there's toothbrushes, like there's all sorts of things that I honestly, like if I was organizing, I feel like a very easy thing to overlook. Um, but then as far as the, so awesome that those things are provided. And then the, the question that I wanted to ask that I was very curious about is, yeah, so there was one group that I was pairing with, uh, we got very carried away and I was there till like maybe like 3 a.m. and um, you know, walking around, walking out of the building, there were like people, you know, there was one room, I think lights out and people were curled up like under desks and stuff. And I was wondering if that was planned at all. Like were there dedicated or people, you know, obviously students wanted to stay there, uh, and keep cranking on their projects, uh, and maybe just found the most comfortable place. Yeah, there that, was that, no, that worked. there was sleeping suggested areas, but nothing really, it was kind of, if somebody's sleeping, just be respectful and don't be super loud. And people kind of just found their own place. Um, I know my first hackathon, I slept underneath a stadium seat. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> for yes. like two hours. Cause I was yeah. like, I just need something. And I remember it being like extremely cold. Like, I don't know if they turned off the heating or something in the middle of January, but I was shivering under a stadium seat. And then yeah. the next morning my alarm went off at 5 a.m., I woke up and I started working on my project to get it <laughs> solidified uh, and done. It may have been too. I have like, the, whenever I look back on these events, there's one, there's like some nostalgia that that comes along with this one hackathon in particular. I think it was maybe two years ago where like a, it was in February, as you mentioned, these, these events always happen in like the early spring semester and it was a blizzard outside <laughs> and the Atlas building, for those listening, uh, a CU, it is the, at CU, it is the, uh, where the tech technology arts and media program is hosted and it's got this cafe built in that has big uh very tall high ceilings and floor to ceiling windows and i just remember a lot of groups had set up in there i think just because it was such a cool space to just take in the view because outside there's this blizzard going on and then you know you've got all these students just hacking away at projects and then uh yeah like staying through the night and crashing i remember my one of my hackathons, I was in the basement and I walked upstairs and I was like, it's snowing and it's nighttime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hadn't realized seven hours had passed since the last time I went upstairs. Yeah. It is very easy to get carried away. Cause I think, yeah, everything we've talked about, I mean, they're just such, such fun, fun events. It's so uh, easy to just be like one more line of code, one more line of code. And then, oh my God, it's 5am. <laughs> Absolutely. 
So when it does get to be later in the event, you know, 5 a.m., projects are closing up um, and students are, are scrambling, you know, to get their, their, their deadlines hit, the projects in. Uh, as far as successful project goes, you know, maybe to best set up, uh, you know, students listening that are thinking about attending T-Night Hacks or any other hackathon, uh, what have you seen, you know, make for successful participants, successful groups and eventual, you know, successful, successful projects? I think one of the big things like I've hit on before is curiosity. Yeah. You just got to have that passion. You got to have that curiosity, wanting to figure out the solution to problems and figuring out how to use technology to do it. I don't think you necessarily need to come into any hackathon with a previous like set idea of this is what I'm going to work on. This is, I think, honestly, the best groups are when people get together, you add, you, maybe you come with a few friends, but you add somebody from the sidelines. You just talk. What are you guys good at? What do you want to learn about? You give everyone a voice at the table and allow them to speak about what their truth is, what they are really passionate about. And maybe you find a connection. Maybe you think of some crazy idea. Like last year we had a cybersecurity Roomba that would go through the rooms and um, bounce IP off of your phone and check if you were supposed to be there. And I think those are the ones that really just, you get an idea, it may be crazy, but just brain dump at the beginning, find something that kind of excites you and just run full force at it. And maybe it won't be completed in 24 hours, but the skills you build in those 24 hours and the fun you're going to have is so worth it. Yeah, I think having having a project that you are genuinely excited about is, is so important. And then paralleling that against actually trying to then drive that into some like, you know, tangible thing. Uh, sort of as you mentioned, yeah, like it might not be completed in the and I think that's totally okay too. And what I have seen, you know, really help in that in that area is um, the groups that tend to have and certainly as mentors, you know, it's important to instill this kind of uh, focus, but a more iterative focus in that, you know, start with just an MVP, a minimum viable product. Like what is the core thing you're trying to build? And then, you know, that might take you all the way through because it is surprising how, how in depth, like, you know, the littlest things can sometime evolve to. But then if you get that done, then yeah, layer on more features, you know, maybe imagine up uh, some other things, some niceties that could improve the project. But yeah, I think pairing just genuine passion with trying to deliver some very like core product is uh, is like as a mentor what I have seen the you know the really um, like fun projects like evolve from yeah know. definitely so on mentorship too I wanted to relate to you I don't know if I ever told you the story but had to put it out there uh, so I have learned just so much from these events too and yeah I'm so thankful of just the the opportunity to participate as a mentor in these things and uh, so the first year I was um, I had some experience behind me but in my professional career the teams I've been on to date, I was the junior mentor. I, sorry, the junior member of the team. I was not uh, in a position of mentorship. You know, I had some strong, uh, very strong team members around me that I could sort of learn from to drive from. But it's very different when you actually flip the table and then put that to practice. And what I put myself out there, what I wanted to say that is like. Uh, um, going to sound ridiculous, but <laughs> there is a lesson that I at least learned from this. So the first year, first hackathon I came to, I'm thinking back on the team members that I had worked with and they all seemed, you know, uh, 
magical, all knowing. And I thought that I had to be, you know, that same kind of, have that same kind of knowledge. So whenever, um, a student, a participant would ask me a question, I thought I had to have the answer. And these students that come out to these hackathons, they're sharp. They're going to ask you some very challenging questions. And I did not have anything close to these answers. And so what I was doing that first year was <laughs> I was giving them like some thread, anything that I could like, you know, somewhat relate to like forward the problem they were working on. But then I thought I had to give them more. I thought I had to like complete the problem. And so what I was doing was I was saying, okay, you know, like, why don't you run with that? And I've actually got to like step into the, step, like run to the bathroom and then, you know, I'll join up with you in a little bit. And what I was doing was I was escaping into the hall. I was Googling around on my phone to try to get like more <laughs> info. And I'm not kidding. These, these participants must have thought I was like violently ill that weekend because this was <laughs> happening like continuously. You're like, like, I'll be right back, right back. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, you come back and they've got another question and it's like, <laughs> oh, oh geez. Right yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was like the whole first, you know, year I was there and I don't think I was a great mentor at all that year, but then, you know, matured a little bit, came back the next year. And I feel like what I brought back that I now try to carry forward just not only at the hackathons, but like working with junior developers in general and the advice I would offer to like other mentors is it's not about solving the problem or getting to the solution at all. It's more so about just showing how you produce the work, you know, um, the the tactics, you know, the methodologies that you can demonstrate to get to that eventual problem, solution to that problem are going to be so much more valuable and like widely applicable to someone who's trying to learn than like just giving them, you know, the the end solution. And so as part of that too, you know, what I've really tried to to embody is just someone who doesn't even bring a computer along. Like I don't even it's I think it's very easy to like retreat into, you know, independent study and like, you know, and what that might mean is just like Googling around or, you know, searching through like, you know, your past projects to find some like similar pattern, but even doing that, like in isolation, like there's value to be demonstrated there for like junior developers, just to see how you go about searching for things. You know, what does search terms look like? You know, what is it exactly? What's your, your train of thought when you're trying to get to these things? Um, so yeah, I guess the short answer to this now, now long response is for those mentors out there, you know, stumble around, like, don't, don't worry if you solve the problem together collaboratively, like, you know, you don't have to have, you know, just the, the end all answer at your fingertips there. You're making me think a lot of, um, I always like to say that first off my greatest skills, knowing how to Google. Yes. Oh, I think <laughs> that I, yeah. people are like, Oh, you know so much about technology. I'm like, I know how <laughs> to type words into a search engine to figure out the solution. Absolutely. And I also think one of the greatest skills is just learning how to learn. You just have to have that curiosity of figuring things out. And that's one of the things as a mentor, you don't have to be this all knowing being of like, Oh, let me just give you a solution. But being able to put yourself basically as one of the members of the team, putting your own like stakehold into the project, that's one of the greatest parts I've seen for like, especially you at the last, just sitting with them, getting excited about their project and figuring out how to figure out these solutions with them and maybe helping them out with a couple problems on the way. That's the best case scenario. Yeah, it is. Uh, it was for me such a tough thing to learn. But yeah, I think both 
you know, whether it's the, um, the person on the learning end or the person on the teaching end, you know, everyone's going to benefit from, from, from that kind of conversation and just, um, just effort, which is, yeah, such a, such a great experience for both sides. Um, so as far as experience goes, uh, love T9 hacks, love T9 hacks and other hackathons, because I think they really offer up just an opportunity for, for getting real projects under your belt. And I know, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about before we opened the show, you know, just how, whether it's a career changer or a junior developer, like how they can essentially like flesh out a resume. I mean, I know for me, especially, right. Like, uh, it was a little anxiety inducing when going after my first, you know, internship, you know, I had like, um, my education block on there and then like near nothing else. And then it was, it really, you know, took some good thought to like stretch myself and try to figure out like how I can, you know, just put a page together that is a resume and then, you know, put a portfolio get, uh, together so that I would have, you know, practical pieces of work to show off to, um, you know, prospective, you know, jobs that I was trying to apply for. And I think, yeah, T9 Hacks really offers an opportunity there in that, you know, if you're on a team, you come away with a project, that's something you can list on your resume that you can put into your portfolio. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, you know, look to your portfolio. I think you did a really awesome job in writing your case studies and in fleshing out uh, a whole bunch of projects. Uh, would love to learn about just your process and what what you thought about going after, you know, your first job, you know, trying to, to put together a resume, to put together a portfolio. Yeah, so... I really struggled with the portfolio. I, it was on my to-do list for three whole years. I made a hundred different ideas. And I, was, I always got into the thick of it of like, well, what color am I? What represents mm -hmm. me? What projects do I want to work on? Who do I want to be? This is like my whole defining features, this one portfolio. And that's not true. <laughs> it's just put it out there. Having one is the most important part. Just you get to show yourself and show what you're passionate about and what you want to work on. And I always hear from people, I don't have any projects that I've worked on. Really? You've been in school for how long and you don't have a single project that you have worked on? Yeah, it's really hard, especially in college when you're rapidly getting better and gaining skills and growing as an individual. And when you look back on a project from a year ago, even like a couple weeks ago, you're going to think it's not good enough, but just put it out there. People aren't going to like nitpick and judge and they just want to see that this is what you're passionate about and this is what you want to work on. And even if you do not have projects, if you're trying to come into a new field or you're trying to become, just define who you are, work on passion projects. You do not have to get paid. Um, that's one of the greatest things is because you aren't getting paid. You get to say, I just did this for the purpose of doing it. And then hopefully down the line, somebody will want to pay you for your passion of what you're going to do. Um, I know for my, for myself, I spent, I want to say like a month or two, and I just made a project every single day. It, I put no emphasis on how big it had to be. I had no emphasis about how much time I had to do on it. Some days I would build a whole website. Some days I would draw on a piece of paper. It's just about doing it. And that's the most important thing. And also, I'm just learning this, post your work. Just A, mainly for yourself, for yourself to see your growth and development, you're gonna get better. And you're gonna look back on your projects and probably be embarrassed by them. That's okay, I am too. My oh, first yeah. websites, I'm like, what? 
why did you make this? <laughs> it's it's an interest. So to hit on that before plenty of things to circle back on, yeah. there, but to hit on that really quickly, it's, it's actually, it's like a funny bell curve in that, um, you know, you hit this point at the top where you're like, yeah, maybe super embarrassed, but then that, that like sort of wanes and you, you get to a different point where you're, you're then like sort of showing it off as like, maybe look how far I've come or like, look how hilarious this was. Like there's some, you know, there's some reminiscing there. <laughs> so yeah, I think you hit on it. Like just putting stuff out there. Like I wish, so I did not do that. I got a few projects out there early, um, but I had so many more, like even my, my TAM projects, uh, at CEU, you know, my technology arts and media program projects. Um, I wish I could dig those up. Like I imagine like it would just be fun to reflect back on those. Um, so getting work out there, I think just super valuable. Um, and I think just good too for, um, you know, just forwarding, you know, getting, getting reps in and exposure, you know, you're gonna, as a, as a developer, you know, you're going to, especially like if you were targeting like a front end kind of design job, you know, you're probably going to have to have some body of work out there. So just getting comfortable with, you know, posting things, um, for others to look at, um, is, is a trained thing that, you know, you sort of need to practice towards. It's really hard. And I think one of the big differences is I struggled with nothing ever being good enough for my um, portfolio. I'm a recovering perfectionist, as I put it. <laughs> I strongly believe no project's ever done. I'm never going to get to a point where I'm happy with it. Yeah. But I, you just got to put it out there. So I, I suggest that everyone has their top three projects that you're most proud of on a portfolio. Just add those. And then have somewhere else to post have, I have a professional Instagram that I have mm. started using where I just post when I make something. If I make something in a day, I'll post it, see what happens. Like just throw it out there. Or if you're a developer or just more on the code side of things, post it onto GitHub, just join a community. And it's so hard to get over this, like nothing's ever going to be good enough, but just going through the practice of just posting it and saying, okay, I have done this complete and putting it somewhere is just so fundamental and a really good skill to have. Yes. Yeah. We'll have to get some of, uh, your micro projects, uh, the Instagram, anything else that you have and drop those in the show notes. Uh, cause what that made me think of too is, and I'll, I hope I get her name right here, but Una Kravitz, she's, um, I think now a developer advocate for material design at Google. Um, but she, such an inspiring person also has, you know, a bunch of, uh, I guess, yeah, what I would call, well, micro projects is probably, um, not doing them the service that they are, but just these, these offshoots, you know, these like, she's got an Instagram with triggered the thought there. She has an Instagram. I think it's called dev doodles where, um, she's very into watercolor, but is also, um, you know, also a programmer. And so we'll pair those two skills together to try to just illustrate these usually, you know, complex, um, complex things in watercolor in very easy to digest, um, you know, receivables and having those kinds of, I think just outlets uh, outside of just like fostering creativity are just good for just like building up your, your online persona. Yeah. You made me think of, um, I find it really hard because I have this like insane curiosity. I just want to make things and I want to do things. And yeah. I'm so interdisciplinary where I'm halfway between development and I'm halfway between business and user experience design. I'm like, I never fit into a box. Like I just get really passionate about projects and I see them through um, this 
month, I have made a Snapchat filter, an augmented reality filter. I've posted a GIF challenge on Instagram. <laughs> I created GIFs, custom GIFs for user experience. I just do things and I just see them through. I have an entire note on my uh, iPhone that's pages and pages and pages long where if an idea pops in my head, write it down. Maybe someday you have a couple hours, see what you can make. Like, I just really like the idea of just pursuing your creativity and pursuing your passion. It doesn't have to have an angle. It doesn't have to be, I'm doing this to put it on my portfolio. Or I'm doing this to see what can happen. My Snapchat filter, I'll frequently see, go onto stories and see my Snapchat filter that people are using. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool that I just kind of did that. And that's where I recommend you don't have to do things to get paid for. You can just do things that you're excited about. And it's really exciting to see how those can come to be. Like my friends don't even know it's my Snapchat filter. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I made that. And they're like, what do you mean you made that? And I'm like, oh, I just put it up there. I was bored one day and people think it's really weird, but I personally like get really excited and nerd out about these things. Hey, the weird projects are the best ones. We're going to have to get all of these <laughs> into the show notes. Um, oh my God. But I think I, what I really liked um, there is, yeah, you not having to have an end goal, understanding that, yeah, not everything makes it into, uh, you know, a portfolio or, or like really has to have a, the purpose of getting there. Um, wouldn't be an episode if I didn't self-promote a little bit. I've got plenty of weird projects out there too. I've got an omelet blog. I eat quite a few omelets. And so every time I eat an omelet, I will take a picture, post it up to the photo blog. And uh, that's not going in my portfolio, but you know, it's out there. Um, for Halloween one year, I built a random jack-o'-lantern uh, generator. Another thing that, you know, it's such a, a one-off kind of thing. You know, I'm probably, you know, not going to use it to promote myself outside of just on the podcast here. <laughs> um, but yeah, all these things, yeah, they're just fun outlets. And I'm sure, you know, uh, with each one of these things, you know, maybe you branch out a little bit, maybe you dig into some, you know, uh, technology that you don't usually work with day to day, but that's been on your radar. You know, you can use these things to just forward yourself in all sorts of different ways that aren't necessarily like broadcast in a portfolio. Um, yeah. And I think like, I really struggle sometimes with the, like, am I wasting my time on this? Could mm. I be doing something that's correct and pushing me towards my career goal? But if you're having fun and you're passionate, eventually your career goals will match up with what you're excited about. If you just continue to do things and continue, I hate the word hustle because it's gone to this point where it's like, you can't relax. You can't have work-life balance, but sometimes you got to hustle. You got to just do what you have inside your head, especially if you're creative, just see it through, just throw it out there. The world's too boring to always do the correct or right thing. Yes. I love that quote. The world is too boring to always do the correct or right thing. Cause I think as part of that too, right with any of these micro projects, you know, at least how I look at them is all as experiments. Some I might get really invested in, you know, have long running passion for that. You know, I still work to forward like um, omelets, like omelets. Yes. Eating, eating almost an omelet every single day. Uh, my sister who's an RD, um, has some concerns there, but I'm still doing it. Um, but other projects, right? You might start with a passion and then find that it's just not for you. And I think as you said, right, like that's okay. It's okay to drop off on those things. I think you have to, um, you know, sort of take just a, a very wide approach to sort of, and then until you really find like, like what you're after out there. Yeah. One of the things like I'm always scared of is I'm like, what if I don't find my one thing? And I'm like, yeah. but maybe, 
there isn't a one thing out there. Maybe mm. everything in these micro projects and just being excited and passionate about technology and different avenues, maybe that's your thing. Maybe a good segue there too. So as far as when you do find, you know, those those big projects, those those highlight pieces, um, I want to pull up here, uh, did a little digging. You're very, very active on LinkedIn. What I think is great is, you know, um, I'm not the best LinkedIn user, but when I do scroll through the feed, you know, a lot of times you just see people dropping... Um, you know, very, very short comments, like, um, of only a few words, but you produce a lot of comments of substance out there. And one I read recently that I really enjoyed going to read it back. See if you remember this one, um, that plays into our conversation here. Your portfolio is the hardest problem you will face as a UX designer, but the most important, how do you want to show yourself? What is your process? Uh, you get total control to define and be transparent about who you are as a UX designer. Uh, so playing back into all we've talked about, when you do find you know these highlight pieces, these passion projects, what are, when you're writing a case study around them, when you're trying to build out a portfolio, any tactics, formulas, you know, just things to consider that you have found success with uh, that others might be able to leverage in, in their own uh, case studies? I think one of the big things is people are always wanting it to be perfect and everything is perfect in their portfolio, but that's not the piece of substance. Uh, the pixel perfection, yeah, it looks great and proves you have the hard skills, but what about the soft skills? What about who you are, why you decided to do this, what are your passions? And that's the big thing, why? Your portfolio is your place to just explain, brain dump, tell your truth and tell your story. Why, why did you do this project? Who did you do it with? If it's a solo project, why did you decide on this exact project? And did you change in between? Why did you change in between? Did it fail? That's also a really good learning opportunity. I've definitely had projects that failed. Some people don't agree with me that I failed on them, but as a perfectionist, I think I did. One of them actually that I'm thinking about is my senior TAM capstone project. Mm. So you have a semester to work on any project you want. And at that time, I was really into web development. So I decided to make a beer discovery genealogy app that showed how the different breakdowns of beers around you and figuring out how you could... I personally only like beers with low IBUs, so figuring out an interface to like discover these beers. And <laughs> it's really funny, actually. I worked on it, and for about a month and a half, was pretty solid, making my way, making it through, and my um, API shut down. Ah. Fully shut down. They were like, we're not doing it anymore. We just closed it. So I'm panicking, freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. So I lean on my friends who are more... Uh, back end uh, than me. And I was like, I just don't know what to do. And they were like, okay, we got to create a data scraper and figure it out on our own. So data scraped, figured it out, made my own um, database of all the information for beer. And then two weeks later, I had emergency surgery. Really? For my appendectomy. Yeah. And they were, and this was a, like, it was due the next week, my entire project. And not only is my API shut down, I'm trying my hardest to grind through this. I have an emergency surgery thrown on top of it. And I, I was just like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and so thankfully, the emergency surgery, they were like, it's a really quick turnaround, no big deal. And I was like, cool, 
I'll be up and running by the end of the week. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, in their head, quick turnaround was two to three weeks. And I said, I'm graduating in two <laughs> weeks. Is I, I don't <laughs> have that kind of time. So I laid down on my bed for two days next week, pulled it together. I pulled three all-nighters that week and had my senior showcase showed up, said, this is my project. And people were like, yeah, it's really cool. And I, I hated it. I hated that project because everything had gone wrong. Everything. It's funny now that it's not on my portfolio because I don't think it's the best, but I learned so much from it. Mainly, I don't like back-end development <laughs> and I don't want to do that in the future. But that opportunity taught me a lot and how to deal with these things that go wrong. Sometimes things just don't work out. I feel like, well, holy cow. That's, yeah. you think that. <laughs> it's a story. Yeah. There was, uh, I guess, yeah, if semester was ending, couldn't find the, the like flexibility to like, you know, you'd think emergency surgery would, would give you some room to, uh, to work. Oh, yeah. all my teachers were like, you can submit everything after graduation. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not walking across the stage and then finishing. Outstanding. Yeah. I think that, that is wild. I think that demonstrates though, such a real lesson and, and highlights exactly what maybe these case studies should be focused on in that. Yeah. In real world projects, right? Like nothing is going to be like a to B like straightforward end to end, no problems in between, you know, you're going to have hiccups, whether it's an API shutdown or an appendectomy, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, or even if it's just as small as I changed this. Why did you change it? Why did it work out? It doesn't have to be life-altering surgery. Yeah. <laughs> but you have reasons and figuring out, A, for yourself, what are your reasons and being self-reflective, especially after a project is really important. And being able to convey those because, A, it's a really important skill just in life. <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh, gosh, there's such a, I'm, I'm blanking on um, the person's name, but he is a, um, a business coach, but he had this, uh, quote that is, you know, uh, the only experience that is valuable is experience that you've reflected upon, you know, whether it's uh, a, a loss or a win, you need to do some reflection there and really, um, try to identify, yeah, what those learnings are, uh, so that you can best set yourself, set yourself up for, for your next, uh, your next project, your next I think endeavor. that perfectly sums up a portfolio. Just reflect yeah. on what you did and why. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe like to even extend off that, once you have, so once you have the portfolio, how can you, I guess, just best leverage it to, to then try to get that first job, to get that, that first internship, if you are, you know, whether it be a student or, or a career changer? Yeah, so I think one of the big things is nobody's going to hand you a job. They are doing their own thing, they're in their own work, you gotta put yourself out there. Um, my first job, it was my first semester after transferring to call, uh, CU Boulder from Colorado School of Mines, I decided to really put my head in the books and then when I looked up, summer was two weeks away and I <laughs> had zero plans. <laughs> and at that same time, I got an email that was last minute career fair. And I was like, oh my God, this was made for me. So. I printed off 40 resumes. I got done with my 9 a.m. class and I walked over to the UMC and went to every single booth. I went and did my That's elevator great. pitch. I said, hi, I'm Cassandra Goodby. This is what I do. Do you have a job this summer? And every single one said, no, we've already hired our summer internships, interns. It's 
two weeks away, right. but we would love to talk to you about next, uh, next summer. And I was like, took their business card and was like, I'm not currently looking for those opportunities, but I would love to talk in the future. Yeah. Went to the next booth, went to the next booth. I went through almost every single booth in there and I was feeling very depleted. I was like, okay, I'm just not going to get an internship. That's okay. And I was like, okay, I've already printed off my resumes. I might as well see it through. There's a couple more booths. Everyone's wrapping up. And I ended up going to the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And I was like, a national institute. Like, I'm going to get a job there (laughs) as a sophomore doing design and development, not fitting into a box. I went and talked to the guy and I said, hi, this is what I am. This is what I do. And he said, wow, that's really crazy. My coworker was saying how he was looking for somebody who has a technical background and design earlier today. Could you come in for an interview at 8 a.m. tomorrow? And I said, yeah, (laughs) sure, of course. Why not? And I went into the interview. I sat at a table with two people and then slowly throughout the interview, 10 more people joined in on my interview. I fully blacked out. (laughs) This is your, this is like, you're in the door. This is your interview to get the job. Yes. This is my interview to get the job. This is the one and only (laughs) 10 people, 10 people looking at me. I'm a sophomore in college, brand new to the (laughs) industry that I'm interested in. That's not intimidating at all. No, 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 not at all. And I blacked out, I walked away, and then a couple days later, they said, yeah, we would love for you to start Monday. That is great. (laughs) So I'm a big advocate of, yeah, it's really awkward to put yourself out there, but practice your elevator speech first off, be able to explain who you are. If you can't explain who you are, nobody's going to know what you do. That's as simple as it is. Figure out what, A, what you want to do. What is it that you want to do? And be able to explain it to people. And then just put yourself out there. Try to network. Try to talk to people. I email, I cold email a lot of people and just say, Hey, you want to grab coffee? I did it with somebody very high up at a company that's very well known and got turned down, but she was really nice about it. And my friends were like, why did you do that? That's so embarrassing. And I was like, well, the worst she's going to say is no. Yeah. I feel like that's the big thing. I've always played in my head. The worst they are going to say is no, they're not going to hate you. They're not going to, you have so much anxiety leading up to it, but once it's over either you network and you get to make a connection and maybe it's a future job. Maybe it's just a really cool person to talk to and get to know or like have a really awesome in-depth conversation about something that you both are passionate about or not. And you don't really take a loss on it. I think that, gosh, that is an amazing perspective to have. And I feel like follows just the, maybe the theme of our entire conversation here is, you know, putting yourself out there, whether it be, you know, the omelet blogs, the Snapchat filters, you know, (laughs) the micro projects, whatever they might be, right? Just firing work out there. And also just having a passion and persistence along with that, you know, following the things that you genuinely are interested in. And also just being like, you know, going back to what you talked about at the job fair, right? Probably would have been, you said you had a stack of about like 40 resumes, you know, gotta be a little discouraging after the first few would have been very easy to just drop off, you know, maybe, you know, think that it's not going to happen this summer. I'll target next summer. So just having, whether it be, you know, taking projects and bringing them online or, you know, just cold calling, cold emailing, having that persistence to, to go after, you know, what you're looking for is just such a valuable asset. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, all right, Cassandra. Um, I feel we're going to need to get another session on the books because we could absolutely keep talking and you have to get to, to boxing. You're yeah. going, going to box. So camping, boxing, <laughs> you're all over the place. Um, any parting thoughts for our listeners out there before we close out the episode? I feel like really it took me a while to learn, but just figure out how to make your passions work for you. If you're passionate about it, somebody somewhere is going to be the same and you can vibe on it and kind of live in this sense of like, I love technology and I love design and I didn't even know there was an area out there for me and I've found it and I'm really excited about it. And I think it shows that I'm really excited about it. And people feel when I talk there, I've been told so many times, like you are really excited about this and I am. And if everyone can find where they're really excited about, I think the world would just be honestly a better place. (laughs) Yes. I feel like too, so much to even dig into there, but we have to close this one out. (laughs) Gotta go to boxing. Yes. Thank you, Cassandra. We'll get you back on again in a future episode. Appreciate your time. Thank you for joining. Thank you. For show notes and more on this episode, head on up to the site. That's dayasadev.com. While you're there, check out our release notes. This is a short newsletter that we send out about once a week. It includes updates along with all sorts of other goodies packaged up for your inbox. Thanks for listening. For the Day as a Dev podcast, I'm Kevin Lasht.